Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Off the Couch on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing, plus all of our other podcasts over at blisterreview.com. And once again, we are broadcasting this episode from the Gunnison Valley of Colorado, and I would like to invite you to come spend some time in our vast amounts of wide open spaces and do some running or hiking or biking on our amazing network of trails here in Gunnison and Crested Butte. Now, this week, our guest is Martinez Evans, who I kind of think might be the busiest man in all of running. Martinez is the founder of 300poundsandrunning.com. He is also the founder of the Slow AF Run Club, which you can learn more about at slowafrunclub.com. Martinez is also a marathon runner and a DJ, and he somehow also manages to find time to be the host of the 300 Pounds and Running podcast. So yeah, Martinez has a lot going on, but we finally were able to find an opening in his schedule to have this conversation, and it is a great one. So Brendan Leonard and I recently talked to Martinez about running and modern media and being a black runner in 2020, and we talk about DJing and Detroit pizza versus Chicago pizza, and we talk about motivation and the slow AF run club that Martinez has started and more. And so with that, let's go ahead and let Brendan Leonard get us started. And here we go. Martinez Evans, Mr. 300 Pounds and Running, uh, Mr. Also Slow AF Run Club. Thanks so much for joining us on, on our Off the Couch podcast. How are you? I am doing well. I am feeling good. I'm feeling great. And I'm excited to be off the couch. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. So your life has changed quite a bit since you started running in, in 2012. I, I would like to kind of go back and get that story. But just as an introduction to you, you're, you have a lot of things going on right now, which I'll, I'd like you to tell us about for sure. But you've kind of gone from a guy who's just like, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for a run and see how it goes to now you're, you've sort of become this um, networker of people and sort of support club for people who do not see themselves as traditional runners. And it's, it's really cool to see your brand sort of blow up and provide something great for people who have not traditionally been represented in running media. Are things busy for you right now? Or is it sort of just like crazy every day, different, different problems, different uh, opportunities or how, how are things going? It's a mixture of both, Brandon. Uh, I would say since last year. So just to give some context, last year I ran five marathons uh, in addition to like a bunch of other like half marathons, 10Ks, 5Ks. But I ran five marathons. Uh, the beginning of this year, I was in a couple of Adidas commercials. Before COVID, I was like being recorded for, uh, you know, a couple other like docuseries and things of that sort. And, you know, running a online uh, online world run club that has over 5,000 members in there is always something going on. And it's, it's not just you anymore, right? You have, do you have an assistant or multiple people helping you with everything? 
it's, it's funny that you act. So I do uh, just recently hired a virtual assistant and I also just brought on a, a copywriter to help with expediting all of this writing and content creation that I create and just trying to get as much of this stuff out from out my head into on the web or on the page or in the book or on a podcast everywhere. Fantastic. It looks like you're doing a lot. And then there's like an app to I look at all the stuff you're doing. I'm kind of going, wow, he must there must be other people helping him. Right. I hope so. Either that he's going to have a heart attack, you know, from from doing everything. That's it. You look busy. Oh, man, you wouldn't believe how busy I am. But you know what? It, it's, it's, it's a good busy, though. It's something that, you know, people pay, prayed for, dreamed of. And finally, you know, eight years in the making, I'm finally at a point where I can live out all of my dreams. Martinez, when you talk about a virtual assistant, is that like a robot? It sounds like some sort of artificial intelligence thing, like a, I don't, I don't know, (laughs) or is that an actual human being? It is an actual human being that we have never met in person. She's in Wyoming. I was in California. Um, uh, the copywriter that I recently hired, she's in Canada. Um, so these are real life human beings that we have never met in person, but we just somehow vibe together and we work together. Okay. If you knew where to, I could pick up some virtual assistant robots, I could maybe use a couple of those, but uh, that's, we might not be <laughs> quite there yet. Not quite. You can Google it, dude. There's like, there's definitely you can you can find virtual assistants pretty easily. You sound old actually when you say that. That's what I'm saying. Like you don't know what it is. All right. All right. That's all right. Shots fired. Okay. So Martinez, I know you probably told this story a million times, but the genesis of you running was 2012. You went to the doctor because you were having some pain in one of your hips and uh, weren't sure what it what it was and basically that doctor visit led to you starting to run. Could you tell as you know that story just as much as you want to share of it oh man absolutely i remember it like it was yesterday um 2012 i was working at men's warehouse at the time so paid commissions i had to be there all day every day which meant that i was eating trash but i was always on my feet Um, before then i played football high school football and a a year or so collegiate football before before i came a regular individual and I found myself at Men's Warehouse. One day, um, I walked into where I worked at and felt like this sharp and cruciating pain in my hip. I couldn't even walk on it. You know, that led me to a doctor, which led me to, you know, 20 plus weeks of physical therapy, which then led me to an orthopedic specialist. And what's funny about this orthopedic specialist is that he's very small, 5'5", five, five, 125 pounds soaking wet, very thick accent. I am at the time, you know, 6'3", 360, 70, 80 pounds, somewhere around there. Because every scale that I ran into at the time stopped working at 350. So I was no, I was more than 350, but I was hoping I was under 400. But nobody will re- really know. And he looked at me and said, Mr. Evans, I know why you're in pain. And I'm like, well, you know, is it football injury? Or like, do I got to get a hip replacement? Like, what's going on? And he's like, you're fat. So, you know, me being the person I am and the stature I have, I'm like, what you mean I'm fat? And like, you fat. So he go on this whole rant of like, 
you need to lose weight. You're going to die. You need to start walking. You know, you need to go get some uh, some old people uh, podiatrist shoes and like walk around the track one time and do that for a week. And then walk around the track two times, all this other stuff. And I'm in my head like, you know what? Screw all that. So I told him, I was like, you know what? Screw you, doc. I'm going to run a marathon. And this is before I even know what a marathon was at the time. I was just saying it, trying to be facetious, trying to be sarcastic, right? And he laughs at me. And like, not just a regular ha-ha laugh. Like, this dude has the biggest belly laugh that he that I have ever seen having a life. Like, I was a comedian telling jokes. So we get into this big argument. I storm out the doctor's office to never see him again. And as I was on my way home, I was driving and I drove past a fleet feet. Uh, which is like a local running shoe store in New England. I think they're they're a chain, like Fleet Feet. And I went in there and I said, I need running shoes and I need them now. Like, luckily for them, like they stopped me and was like, you know, hold up, like what you need them for? And, you know, they pumped the brakes on me. And I'm like, well, I got to go run a marathon. I'm going to go run a marathon today. And like, it was them that was like, oh, you've been training? I was like, no, like I'm going to run a marathon today. And they was like, do you know how, like, how, how long a marathon is? I'm like, yes, I'm about to go run this run mile marathon right now. And it's like, uh, it don't quite work that way. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we had a good conversation, but, you know, I left out of there and uh, I got some running shoes and I went straight to the treadmill, got on the treadmill, set that bad boy to seven. You know, my legs was in between, you know, straddling the belt. And I was looking at it as the belt was just running and I got on that belt and I fell miserably. Like I didn't run no more than like 30 seconds, man. And like, I felt defeated. I felt like this doctor was right. And it wasn't until like my significant other, you know, she has this a knack with words and, you know, she pointed at a tattoo that I have on my right wrist and it says no struggle, no progress. And she is like, well, what you going to do? This sound like a struggle. So I guess you got some progress going around. So from there, you know, I kept at it, downloaded five couch to 5k apps because I wanted to know which one was the best and, you know, just methodically took it day after day. I didn't finish couch uh, day one of week one, day one of couch to 5k on the first day. It took me about a week to just complete week one, day one. And then I just kept going at it until, you know, you look at me now, eight years from now, in 2019, I ran five marathons in addition to a bunch of other half marathons and 10Ks. It seems like the obvious question is to ask if you have ever been in touch with that doctor again, but I actually kind of want to know if you've ever, if you ever think about that shoe salesperson who like gave you the shoes and didn't, didn't judge you, you know, because... We have all those stories of the doctor saying, oh, you got people proving doctors wrong is pretty common, which is, it's awful that the guy said that to you. But how about the shoe salesperson was like, here's a pair of shoes, but also said, you know, hold your horses a little bit. You know, you got to ease your way into it. They may, they may have saved you a little bit too, right? Uh, they saved me a bit, but I did remember coming out there with a lot more things than just shoes, right? So, you know, I got a gait analysis. They, you know, they hit me with those, uh, those semi-custom inserts. I got some shoes, you know, it was a bunch of other stuff. Had some goo. It's like, oh, you gonna run? Like, let me help you out. What's your time? I'm like, I don't know. So, uh, but it was interesting, but 
I, I, I'm very happy that they just rode with it. Yeah. So you, your first marathon, so you, you went, you kind of worked your way up in races and you ended up doing your first marathon October, 2013. So just over like a year and a half later, uh, and that was in Detroit. How did you feel around like mile 19, mile 20? Was there like, was there any idea in your head? Like maybe I should, maybe this is too hard or I'm going to quit. Like, you know, like sort of everybody has, or were you kind of just driven to, to finish that thing? Oh man, it happened around mile 22. The race is interesting because it's my hometown. You know, I got families there. I got my significant other there. And it wasn't until, um, you get to the spot in Detroit called Belle Isle, where there's like a little island outside of Detroit that everybody goes to. And this this paddy wagon, like the the SAG vehicle that was picking up people. And like, you know, you see all of these souls of individual sad faces, right? And, you know, this driver of the SAG vehicle like looked at me and was like, hey, big man, you need a ride? And it went from like just that to like him taunting me all the way into like the end of the race, like to me finish. So like every so often he'd drive by and be like, hey, big man, like I still got that ride for you. You can go ahead and get up in here. And it went from like, nah, like I'm okay to like mile 23, mile 24. And I'm like, listen here, man, like you got to leave me the F alone because, uh, like this ain't like we about to fight. I, I'm trying to finish this marathon. This lady gave me Jolly Ranchers. I'm almost out of water, and you talking about a damn ride. And like I think that what fueled me to get to the finish line because I was more pissed off at this driver um, than anything else. And then I remember like crossing the finish line, and then like the truck falling like right behind me. It was definitely an interesting experience. Um, but you know, after that, I caught the bug. I caught the bug after that though, and I was like, well. Um, even though, you know, I came in relatively late or like came relatively close to the course being closed. And even though I prepaid for pictures and there wasn't no photographer there to get me in my finisher picture, um, I was like, you know what? Like this was a challenge that, that seemed impossible. Once I figured out a marathon was 26.2 miles, I did it and I want to keep doing it who's this guy who's just like shit talking you for, I mean, that's, that's over an hour of just like following somebody and, and mouthing off to him. I mean, it seems like, why didn't he just settle back in and be like, okay, this guy's going to do it. I'm just going to shut my mouth and, and drive slowly. That seems bizarre to me. That's the thing about the back of the pack, man. We get so many hecklers. We get people that talk crap about us all the time. Like as I progressed in my running career, it's more normal than you think. I, I'll even put it in, in this perspective. You know, like, what was it? Two years ago, there was this whole big thing with London Marathon where they had an official pacer for either, I think it was either seven hour or 6.30 or eight hour finish. I can't remember, but it was one of those like late back of the pack finishes. And like the official pacer for that race got heckled and got shit talked about her and you know, all these other people so much so that it was like this big hoopla about London Marathon and how they don't even support their people, even though like this person was an official pacer for the back of the pack. That sucks. I feel like there's a sort of, I don't know if you watched the last dance at all about, about the bulls, but 
there's a series of Michael Jordan getting motivated by people either shit talking him or like just slightly offending him in different ways. And I feel like there's like can be a theme of that with your doctor and then the guy driving behind you. But you're just like, you know what, I'm going to finish. You know, you guys can shut up because this is my motivation, like drawing fuel from that sort of negative feedback from people. Seems like there might be a parallel there. I don't know if you I don't know if you watch that or not, but. Absolutely, man. Yeah, I'm a biggest one of the biggest Michael Jordan fans. Absolutely. I would say it, it, it's a part of the athletic mindset. Like we need an enemy. Like we need an enemy to get us in the game. Like Michael Jordan needed an enemy. And if you ever watched his uh, Hall of Fame speech, it was pretty much of like a running list of like everybody that pissed Michael Jordan off and him being like, I told you so. By the way, Martinez you're not a Pistons fan, are you? <laughs> I am, man. Born and raised. But you're a Pistons fan and a Jordan fan. Yes, I can be both. And so you got to think about this. Like the, the bad, the quote unquote bad boys happened a little bit before I was born. So like, you know, as much crap they talk about, the, uh, you know, when, like when Jordan came out and like when I really got into like big into basketball, right? Like my family members are like big Isaiah Thomas fans, you know, as they used to say, Bill Lynn Bear is the best basketball player ever because like <laughs> he didn't do much, but he was always in people's head. Um, but like you can be both. I can be both. When Jordan retired, I was back on the Pistons. Rip Hamilton, C. Wallace, Big Ben. I promise I won't take us down basketball too long here, but it still is wild. I mean, Isaiah Thomas was a Chicago basketball god, right? Who then goes to school in Indiana, then ends up on the Pistons. But it it is still, like, as somebody from Chicago, it's still kind of funny, right? It's like, you can be a Pistons fan and still love Jordan. But it's like, man, a lot of Bulls fans are not so fond of Isaiah, but he was like the basketball player from Chicago for so long, you know, until he started this career in the NBA with Detroit. And so it's kind of funny how these things like shift, but it's like Mr. Detroit basketball Isaiah actually was that kid, maybe the best basketball player ever coming out of Chicago at the time. So anyway, the world is confusing. <laughs> <laughs> I'll steer us back to running then. So, Martinez, you do this marathon. A lot of people have the feeling right when they finish, like, that's my last one. I don't ever need to do that again. I know when the last, the five minutes afterwards, a lot of people think that. But you keep going. Did you, was it when you started the blog, you decided 300 pounds and running was going to be the, the name of it? And that's where the brand started? Was that the right timeline? Absolutely. It, it all happened during the same time while I was running. Like when I started running. So like doctor's office, bought running shoes, failed miserably. Somewhere around that same week, like I started 300 pounds of running. I love that uh, NWA song, 100 miles of running. And I was like 300 pounds of running, got the same cadence. I like it. We going to roll with it. There's a whole music thread we could go through because you DJed in college as well, right? Absolutely. Would you say you're you're more of Detroit techno? fan or more of a hip-hop fan or both or what was kind of what do you have standards that you were playing in college i'm trying to think of what year this would have been that you were djing 
like cl- classic songs that you go to? Oh man, uh, I was DJing. Undergrad was 2004 to 2010, and I was DJing. I personally got into DJing because of the love of Ghetto Tech, which is a uh, 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 like a hip hop clash between Detroit techno and hip hop, right? And so we had their own genre called the Ghetto Tech, and they used to play Ghetto Tech on the radio every Friday and Saturday um, growing up. So like you have the mix show DJs get on there and they just tear it up. So that's what really got me into like wanting to be a DJ. And undergrad, like we still play like ghetto tech, but we also did like hip hop and R&B. And it was just, you know, top 40 stuff, mostly hip hop and R&B. Like some of my claim to fame is like I opened up for like young, young jock uh, at our uh, at our college when he came and, um, you know, performed there. So like during that whole time, you know, young Jock, young Jeezy, T.I., pretty much the South ran like my life. You don't still DJ at all. You don't have, do you still, are your turntables just dusty at this point? No, nah, I still DJ. I don't go out and like look for jobs to DJ, but I would say about three to four hours a week, I still get on my turntables and practice. <laughs> All right, so couple questions here. One, do you listen to music when you run? Yes. Okay. What's kind of in heavy rotation these days? Mm, so a few things. It it kind of ranges from like some DMX, uh, cause you know they just did a versus. So like I've been listening to DMX in rotation. Um before that, like I listened to a lot of like hardcore hip-hop so like there's this rap group from buffalo called griselda and uh they, they they're form of like benny the butcher conway the machine and uh west side gun and they're like hardcore boom bap like new york style hip-hop i, I listen to a lot of them right now got it i'm currently obsessed right now with run the jewels four have you listened to it? Any thoughts on it? Is it you into it? Not so into it? Oh, man, I love RTJ. Um, you know, f- when, when I rank one through four, I would say like RTJ two is still my most favorite. And then RTJ four. I'm currently and, you know, I've spent a, the least amount of time with four, but Four is angling for my number one right now. Like, really impressed. And so I think we need a little more time here to settle in and see where things, like, where it all shakes out. But I am really, really up on what on four. We'll see if that, we'll see if four stays in the the number one spot or not. Four is good. Um, You know, when I'm feeling, like, to mix it up, Meow the Jewels, like the the, the special edition one they did with all the cat, cat noises. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it gets me every time. <laughs> and usually like when I'm having like that tough run, um, I, I'll throw on that just so I can hear like Snoop Dogg do like the uh, meow, uh, meow mix and like them remix it. Like it, it gets me laughing every time. That's fantastic. I'm not going to say top five MCs, but how about top three MCs 
Oh man, like that's tough. Biggie, Jay, and Andre Andre three thousand. Whoa, that's that's solid. Yeah, I feel like that's a, that's almost a question that just sort of dates when you were like your teen when you were like listening to hip hop in your teens and twenties or whatever. You know, like that your answer to that always just you can probably guess someone's age pretty closely by by their answer to that so brandon what you thought i was gonna say That's like good. 21 savage uh little baby <laughs> and the yeah. baby or something man that's that's Brendan's top three. <laughs> that is not. I'm so I'm so old. I like I have young friends who introduced me to Twenty One Savage, and I'm like, okay, okay, young man. That sounds. That's. I get it. Okay, nope. That's not. It's not for me so much. Um, but people aren't making hip hop for like forty one year old dudes. That's that's a fact for sure. So you're blogging. Like people are starting to you're still running, you're, you're blogging, you're, you're going to grad school. You do, you did your master's degree. Your thesis was on blogging about weight loss bloggers. Put this down, examining characteristics, motivators, and activities of weight loss bloggers and weight loss blog readers. How important was the community you found online at, uh, how important was that to you to kind of keep going, what, keep doing what you were doing? at that time the bloggers at that time became family like when nobody else understood what i was doing like a black guy from detroit like saying he's gonna run he's 300 plus pounds and like people didn't really understand it at the time like none of that made sense and for me to like have this blogging family that you know, I can write. We all, you know, chit chat on each other. We took, you know, took it offline and like they had a, a conference um, called Fit Blogging. Um, it, it was like a family, <laughs> man. It was it was pretty dope. I would say that's a golden age of blogging right there. So you, you did the blog and then you're, you're also podcasting for quite a while. And there's Instagram. Are you... Are you just sort of evolving to find people where they are or are you finding one works better for you or comes easier to you or like, do you see a future? Are you like, what is, what is the one thing you want to keep doing media wise? Um, it, it is an ever evolving thing, right? Like back then, back in 2012, like blogging was the thing. And like, the more you write, people was into it. Whereas now, you know, you still have a few people that do it, but they not into it because like people just don't read like that. Um, and social, like, you know, due to social media. So it evolved from, you know, blogging to, you know, me getting on Instagram to me doing a podcast to me having this community and, you know, just trying to figure out like, what are my roots? What do I believe in? And, you know, what do I hold dearest to my heart? You know, by heart, like by trade, I'm still a blogger or just a dude who's just trying to share his story to, you know, get people inspired and motivated and show them like, like there's other ways to pave your own, you know, to blaze your own trail. It has evolved. And, and, and then one more thing is like writing. I said one more thing is writing a master thesis that's, you know, 300, 400 pages. Uh, kind of just sucked, you know, the love of writing out of me for a bit. So, 
you know, that whole thing of, I remember where I was just starting writing my master thesis and I sent it to my advisor, you know, my first hundred pages. And she was like, oh, great. This is, this is amazing, Martinez. I've highlighted and read everything I don't understand or like everything you need to rework. And I got that paper back and everything was highlighted except for my name. Oh, what? That's a brutal edit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's tough. You know, it is, but it was definitely that experience that uh, I was like, all right, like, I don't know if I like writing no more. It's almost like Marathon Blues. Like, you run this marathon, like, I don't even know if I want to run anymore. Um, but it's definitely something that, you know, ebbs and flows like everything else. Writing is a muscle. Uh, but I, I, I just find it's interesting or or what I'm finding now is just more fun to, like, have these type of conversations with people um, and just, like, let the conversation flow versus, like, writing something down and then like editing it and, you know, making sure that, you know, it's the right tone because people can't defer tone or like sarcasm or anything else in writing. So, you know, it's hard to like really convey that, you know, the, the, the speech versus written form. I would also suggest maybe you don't like writing when you know no one's going to read it except for like three professors because I've had, I've had that experience as well. <laughs> I know that one other person has read my master's thesis and it was, a, it was a student like five years after I graduated. I'm like, they made you read it? And he's like, yeah, they, I'm doing my own. And they, they have us pick one to sort of like understand how it works. And I'm like, wow. And I just imagine that kid like putting that book back on the shelf in the library and it like just sits there for for like the next 10 years. You're like, man, I, I worked so hard on that thing. Whereas blogging, you get feedback and you get, you make friends and you get community and like a thesis is just like, you might as well dig a hole and throw that thing in the ground, you know, but I don't know. <laughs> Brendan, what was your thesis? Mine was mine was actually on uh, peak bagging. So like it was like three different magazine style articles about uh, people who um, like to just climb more than one mountain or, you know, like one of the it was like the people who tried to go to the high point of every state and then uh, a few few things like that. So I, I understand it's not that interesting. I, I'm I'm not saying that people should read it. I'm just saying nobody read it. <laughs> well, Brandon, in addition to that, man, like one of my the the reason why I was even like hard as balls is because, you know, instead of just doing like a regular master thesis, they was like, well, you should write your master thesis as three scientific articles and we should get, try to get those published. So oh. it was even harder because they was trying to get me ready for peer review. And I did end up getting one of those published, but I just got so burnt out. I was like, I don't want to work on this no more to get the second one part published. I'm done. Well, so, okay, so more people read part of your thesis than, than mine. That's, okay, understandable. <laughs> That's cool. So, Martinez, uh, at, at a certain point, this became like a thing that you could you could do full-time, um, that 300 pounds and running, and I don't know what order this was, but do you remember when it was that you realized that this could be like, this could be a job for you, that, that you could do it to make a living? I knew there was something there. I didn't know what at the time. And I, you know, as my Michael Jordan story would go, you know, as I'm doing this, I'm in my master's program and, you know, my, 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 um, 
my advisor like what you doing with this blog and stuff you need to be more into the research you know i'm teaching you how to be a woodcutter and a wood carver and you over here want to blow glass so like i just remember that whole process of me being like uh like this this is a thing there's a lot of weight loss bloggers at the time like i was doing weight loss blogging like there's a lot of bloggers who talk about their weight and running and things of that sort and like they're doing this and it's like all right prove it we don't believe you and like that's when i was like all right i bet i can get 100 plus people to fill out this survey it's like you get the 100 plus people to fill out this survey this would be your master thesis so that's how i became like my master thesis but along the journey you know like I was around that time where like Huffington Post was, you know, just starting out and, you know, before that, you know, before she sold it and things of that sort. And I was like, okay, you know, there are people out here making money uh, doing this. I don't know if it's going to be something I would do or like something that I would find success then, but I I just kept at it and it, it eventually did. Like it became something, but it took a while though. Like it really took a while. And I think it was a mixture of, you know, injuries. Like I got injured a few times where I got into a couple of car accidents, you know, to, you know, a, a lot of other things that may have like played into that. But it, it definitely was a, a a grind to get here. You've been in a bunch of like short films and people have written articles about you. Was there one in particular that you remember going, wow, I just started, you started getting a lot more sort of positive feedback where people were finding your contact info and saying, thanks for telling your story. Was there one thing like that that kind of vaulted you? I would say there were two things. So like, I think the first one was like the first time I had ever been in the media, right? So like, it was the local news station in Connecticut because I was going to UConn at the time. And they did like this whole full out thing for me. They brought me back. They had me, like I was a guest blogger. And like, you know, the newswire would pick that up and like other people want to interview me and things of that sort. Like that was the first time. And then like the second time was, I would say relatively recently um, when I was in uh, the, the New York Post. Um, and once I was in the New York Post, they did a video on me. You know, that video has gotten, you know, millions of views right about now. And then from there, like everybody else started looking at me like, you know, Adidas reached out to me and then. LAD Bible and Washington Post. And like it's from there, it just felt like everybody was like, hey, like who is this 300 pounds and running guy? We want more of this. And then like once they found out, like I was just deeper than just like a fat guy trying to run. And I'm like an actual realized human being who've like been through stuff. They was like, oh, this is interesting. Like we can go like deeper. And it's like, yes, let's go deeper. Yeah. And there's a, I mean, currently right now it's, it's a, a time where people do want to talk to you. I mean, you represent a lot of things that we haven't seen or traditional media hasn't celebrated. You know, you're a big guy, you're an African-American guy. And, and that has become such a big thing to talk about in 2020. How did the Ahmaud Arbery murder, how did that affect what you do in both running and in media, because you've written a little bit about that, you know, saying this is the space I take up and it is, it is, it affects me because every time I go for a run, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm, I'm paraphrasing what you said. And that's not a direct quote. You know, you have a different experience than say Jonathan and I do when we go out and just 
run around as as white men um your experience is different especially you know depending on where you're running can you talk about how that's how that's affected you this year or i guess your your entire running career like throughout my own my my whole running career i've been through uh a lot i think actually seeing this man like fight literally fight for his life broke me man like i went into a a a very depressive state and i didn't know if i was going to even run anymore like i stopped running for at least a month um because it just brought back a lot of trauma that i've been through you know not only as a black man just trying to live life but as you know a runner and i just think about like all the things that you know, growing up as, you know, a kid in from the inner city of Detroit and all the things that are going on, not only Amal Arbery, right, but Breonna Taylor, like growing up in Detroit, like I've experienced no knock raids, you know, just by sheer happenstance of living next to a, a crack house growing up and they got the wrong house and like me be there and thinking, okay, I'm going to die because you got police people and with guns and and they looking at you, you know, as a 13 year old boy yelling at you, cussing at you, pointing guns at you, talking about where the drugs at. And it's like, I just got off school. I don't know what y'all talking about, you know, to like running and like, you know, everywhere that I've ran, like I lived in Connecticut. I lived in Massachusetts. I lived in California. I've lived in Detroit. I've been stopped by the police because I'm looking suspicious. So whether it's me running in, you know, Mountain View, California, where uh, Google headquarters is at, you know, running at 5 a.m. It's still dark, but I still got my little flashlight on and, you know, hydration pack and people call the police on me because like they think I'm suspicious because they see this big black man out here with a headlamp on and like police stop me and question me and all this other stuff. And I'm like, you are stopping me from training for a marathon and me get pissed off at that. And like them feeling self-righteous to be like, well, that don't matter. Like you look suspicious. It's a problem. And like, there's so many stories that I can go on for days. Right. You know, even Bubba Wallace, like while DJing, like I've had nooses hung in the DJ booth and as a black man, as a black runner, as you know, things are just going on. Like it just makes me feel unprotected, and it, it's hard, and it's it's a hard button burden to bear throughout all of this. You know, other people may have been like, you know, like this is it, like I'm done, and it's just that constant battle, you know, with myself as well as like the things that I value to be like. You know, if I stop, they win. And when I mean they, I mean the system, right? Because like it's it's almost a part of me and a part of my responsibility. AS is like quote unquote influencer, thought leader, or whatever you want to call it, to say something, share my stories, and you know, get people to really understand to say, hey, if you like me as Martinez Evans, the three hundred pound runner, like you have to understand me fully, not just a, a, a fat guy who runs, right? I'm a black guy. I'm a black fat man who runs, who's, you know, 6'3". And, you know, you, you got to understand all of this. You just can't understand just the running portion of it. So being able to be that beacon, that guide light 
uh, per se to get the awareness out there and spread the word and change people's thoughts, feelings, and emotions about this. Are you feeling hopeful? Are you getting feedback where people are, you know, kind of saying, I had no idea, or I just started following you. Thank you for doing this. Or how is it, how are you feeling about it? Like more recently in the last few weeks? I think it's a mixed bucket, man. You know, by, by nature, I'm a cynic. So like, I'm very, like, I don't necessarily think the best of, uh, people and things. So that's where I always think people got underlying motives. And I guess, you know, that goes to my trust issues. I'm going to therapy about that. Um, (laughs) you know, but I, I think that, you know, I can only take it as a face value and, you know, at this point in the game, like words, you know, words is one thing, you know, what you're saying is one thing, but like actions really mean more to me than anything else. Is is there an example of any actions that have have meant more to you in recent weeks? Let's put it like this: when you know it was into, you know it was trendy for everybody to put a black square up, and these brands be like, "Oh, Black Lives Matter, we're going to do something about it." And like now it's not trendy anymore, so like their posting has went to something else. That's more telling to me. Like, okay, it was just a moment, versus like, all right you know, say brand X, Y, Z say, oh, we're going to do this. And then, you know, we're going to, you know, they spent this time and laid out these whole 10 point process of like what they're going to do to improve, you know, the standing for, you know, not only black people in America, but, you know, be very inclusive into things. And like, you know, a month, two months has went by and no one's following up. Like, where's the accountability with that? So, you know, that's, that's more or less what I have to say about that. But I think one one of the things that's interesting, right, is like even the the whole Washington Redskins thing, right? And we going back into sports and like how that has been something that people has been protesting for years. I remember this because like I went to like my undergrad at Central Michigan University and our mascot is the Chippewas. And like before I got there, they had like this whole Chippewa thing and like the arrows on the football helmets and things of that sort. And like they had this big protest and they changed the logo from like, you know, uh, a Native American to like just a flying C, right? Like we're still going to be named Chippewas, but we're not going to have like any of the Native American heritage on like our uniforms and logos and things of that sort. During that time, like they was also talking about the Washington Redskins and like, that was in 2004 when I went there, right? And now, like, it's 2020, and, like, it's finally being changed. And it's, it's just interesting that how much the power of the dollar and the capitalistic society, like, really forces these companies to change. And if it wasn't for, I can't remember if it was FedEx or UPS who had, you know, big money in this and was like, hey, like, y'all need to do something about this. Are we pulling our money out? And other companies pulling their money out that like people are starting, you know, that they really want to change because they don't want to lose out on that dollar. And I think that one company that just don't give a fuck <laughs> is Facebook. Cause like <laughs> these companies like, Oh, we pulling out, <laughs> we pulling out of Facebook, we pausing our ads and Facebook has been like, so, <laughs> so, you know, it, it's getting to the point where, you know, there's a lot of, I would say billionaires and trillionaires being made that, you know, they have a lot of FU money, whereas like, 
you know, Marky Z is a billionaire, you know, almost a trillionaire. Like you pull out, you're not putting your hundred million into our ads. Cool. Like I'm still a billionaire. Are any of those things like the, like the NFL statement or the NASCAR decision to stop flying the Confederate flag? Is that giving you any hope that things are a little different than they were like when Colin Kaepernick first started protesting? Like maybe there's a, a little bit of change happening. Um, I think it's a start. It's not like a, it's more of a toe dip than like me jumping to the pool of hope and being like, oh, like hope and change is here. It's more like, oh, okay, I see you. Let's see what the next step's going to be. Uh, and then the same thing with the NFL. It's like, you know, it's almost a little bit too late. Like we've been saying this for years. Callan Carpenter been saying this for years. And like all of a sudden, like now, like there's this change of heart. And it just goes back to like capitalism, right? Like, are you just saying this because A, it's trendy and it's going to affect your bottom line? One of the things I've been wondering about a lot is how much reason do we have to be optimistic just in terms of thinking about the youth, right? Like one thing about old people is they die, right? (laughs) And like, honestly, like I don't have a, I don't have a nicer way to say this, but like, is some of this, do we have reason to think that part of this is old beliefs are going to be in the grave? And like on that front, I could see a couple sides of this, right? That it's like, man, that seems real dangerous just to assume that like young people are going to just by virtue of being young, like and maybe having some more distance on some of these quote unquote, older thoughts, ideas, beliefs, you know, there's reason to be optimistic about that. What are, what are your thoughts about that? Or, or is it like, yeah, well, turns out we might see young people picking up and endorsing, you know, some of these beliefs and practices that our society would do real well to get rid of ASAP. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, man. Ooh. I think that's an interesting question because it's a, it's a mixed bag. It, it, it truly is. Right. Uh, especially in the day and age with social media, you know, that definitely brings uh, a lot of awareness uh, to things like, you know, I think about my, you know, 12 year old niece who was just like scrolling on my sister's phone and seeing a mob Arbery get killed. Right. And like that having an uh, effect on someone, um, and like how this uprisings have an effect on someone. So I think there's multiple ways that, um, like the youth is being influenced. A, you know, it's their household, you know, or, or the people that they think have a, uh, an effect on them, right? It's also their peers and whether or not, you know, they have the, the celebration or, you know, respect of their peers, right? And then the, the last thing is the, you know, how it benefits them, right? So like to go along this journey of, you know, fighting for equal rights, like there's a risk that you're going to have to give up everything that you have, right? And some people are just not willing to give that up. And whether it's wealth, whether it's power, you know, whether it's any of those things, and they fight hard to keep the normal like to to keep the standard you can see that when 
you look at like gerrymandering and you know the things that's going on with the election it's like you would think you know and i would say this is a simple thing right with COVID 19 like you would think like okay like yeah like everybody will be able to just vote from home because like who wants to be out there but there's still individuals and people out there who you know put it out there and you know throw propaganda be like oh this is going to be fraud and all this other stuff so it, it, it's a mixed bag. You know, I do have hope for it, but I think that for some people, uh, they just do it because it's a better interest for them financially. And, you, you know, you can see it with, polit- you know, with politicians where, you know, before they got into politics, they may, you know, been, you know, whatever leaning, you know, whatever side on the aisle you might consider, say, or just for equal rights. And then they get into politics and they get their pockets padded and they go completely against what they what they initially was fighting for. So I think that it's hard. It's hard in a capitalistic system, <laughs> uh, for lack of a better words. It's hard for a capitalistic system because there's always going to be winners and losers. And I think that it's, it's up to the youth as well as us to at least try to do our best to level the playing field in whatever way that can be. You know, whether that's voting, whether that's, you know, you know, you hosting a podcast and you hiring uh, a VA of color, uh, whether that's, you know, going the extra step to finding people who may provide services for you, whether you're looking for a graphic designer or whatnot and like hiring those people of a color. Like it's really upon you to take those extra necessary steps and then pass it on to uh, the younger generation. To say like, hey, like right is right and wrong is wrong. That was an excellent answer. Can you talk about how the, so the Slow AF Run Club is now, you said 5,000 people. There's an app, there's apparel, uh, stuff like that. Can you talk about how that started? Like, did it, was it just like a offhand comment you made on social media and then you decided I'm going to put that on a t-shirt or what was the, what was the genesis of the the whole thing? Slow AF came from the fact that I can't remember what marathon was running. I don't know if it was New York. It was it was one of the world majors where, you know, I was lagging behind and somebody was like, oh, man, like you slow as fuck. I don't even know why you're doing that. And I, I just remember shaking my head like, yeah, I am. But I, I'm not going to quit. And like as I was finishing the race, I was like, oh, I'm going to put that on a T-shirt because I'm going to wear that proud. And it, it just went from there. Like I put Slow AF on a T-shirt. I had a little turtle. And I was like, this is my brand. Like, this is it. And like, I'm proud to be slow. I'm proud to be in the back. Like, there's so much adversity that you need to go through as a back of a packer, uh, whether it's, you know, playing, uh, playing a scavenger hunt to the finish line because they took in all the uh, mile markets down or, you know, going out with water. So I got to carry three liters of water on my back because I know they're going to run out of water. And so I was like, you know, I want this to be a badge of honor. Like I'm slow AF and I'm proud of it. And I, I made a t-shirt uh, and I sold 500 t-shirts in two weeks. And I was like, okay, I'm on to something. Uh, during that time, people was like, hey man, like we got these t-shirts, like you should create a Facebook group. And I'm like, nah, I think I want something better than that. Like I want something bigger than just the Facebook group because there's a lot of face- running Facebook groups you can just join now. And um, that was just me for thinking, like, I want this to be a true movement, 
you know, outside of the reach of Facebook. I want to make sure that I have control of everything. And I just went on the journey of figuring out, like, how can I do that? And, you know, that happened all of last year. You know, last year in August, late August, we launched the Slow F Run Club. And, you know, we're a year in the game. And it's amazing, man. It's like I said, it's like uh, having our own Facebook for slow runners, but not being on a platform on Facebook. We got our website. We got our own apps. And like people are loving it. They are uh, enjoying it. And I think one of the main reasons is that it's not on Facebook. And then the other reason is because of like some of the values that that I that I believe in. Right. So, you know, throughout this whole process of me journey, you like throughout this journey, like I started off as a weight loss blogger and like I moved from like just weight loss and being like, you know what, my life and my journey is bigger than just a number. And focusing more on like weight loss. I mean, not weight weight loss, but like health at every size, and making sure that I that I put those things into the community. So one of the things we we don't talk about in the community, you know, we have a very strict no weight loss talk policy. Like you lost weight, that's great, but what what have you done for these miles? The same thing with nutrition, right? We don't talk about food as like clean food, bad food, diets, or things of that sort. How are you feeling? to be a better athlete and making sure that we just change people's minds of like what it means to be an athlete because a lot of new runners, a lot of back of the pack don't see themselves as athletes or, or as runners. So, you know, making sure that we do our best to do some brain training to let everybody know, like if you run, you're a runner. And if, since you are a runner, you're an athlete. So you need to treat yourself as such. Yeah. I, I had a, a lady tell me a story after I did a, a speaking thing about her husband uh, just judging people who were slow at marathons and he's you know he's it was sort of awkward but she said you know i said well is he has he ever run a marathon she goes well no and i'm like well <laughs> you know i mean what how you know it's like running a marathon slow is so much better than not running at all exactly you know? i don't understand that judgment but um yeah um do you is it has anyone is there any upper limit or to to the club is somebody just like are you, are you taking everybody or if somebody is like i want i want to join the club and i want a t-shirt and then you find out that they run like seven and a half minute miles are you like mm, nah no i you know i I'll, I'll take them you know it as much as we need uh like slow runners but we also need allies and hopefully, you know, they'll learn something from the community and talk to their fast friends who you know, who are elitists and be like, you know, like, hey, these people are working just as hard as us. I feel like almost everyone thinks they're slow at some point. It's just a lot of those people are way faster than most of us that they're like, wow, you're you think that's slow? OK, that's that's not slow at all. Right. But, but I think that most people are in running to improve, you know, no matter what. And they feel slow but yeah that's it's to to a point for sure it's nice of you not to like basically reverse discriminate against fast people i guess that's that is i feel like that's a good move inclusivity this is this is like the real good thing about me is that i think i'm slow and i am slow and so therefore there's not like some weird disconnect i'm not one of those annoying people that's actually fast and in addition to that like it it actually helps the community more than it hurt it and here's the reason why, right, is that we're teaching everybody that 
you know, you are an athlete, you are a runner, you're not training against nobody else. Unless you're an elite athlete, you know, you map, um, you could uh or I can't even never say his name right, but unless you one of them in the front in the front of the line, like to go off, like you're not competing against nobody else. Because like those are the people who are competing. And if you behind them, you're not competing. You're not competing. So it helps the other it helps the other members to not compare themselves to like anybody else's journey. So like even that, right? Having people like watch watch what they say around like themselves, like when it comes to self-defeatist behavior. Like, you know, somebody might be like, oh, like I'm having a slow day and they just ran a 12 minute mile. Meanwhile, somebody who had a 17 minute mile, like, oh, I, I just wish I can run that fast. Like, I'll correct them right then and there and say, hey, like, watch how you talk about yourself and your own, how, you know, how you operate versus somebody else. Like, this journey is about you and what you're doing, not comparing yourself to each other. I mean, I think about the like the New York City Marathon. I I ran I ran with you last year, you and me and fifty three thousand other people. Um, but you're like, what do you like? You look at your overall placing and you get like whatever forty seven thousandth or something like that. And you, do you kick yourself because you're like, God, I could have been forty six thousand nine hundred ninety eight. I don't. I can't believe it. I can't believe I did that. You know, like it's just so it's so insane to, to see it as a race as opposed to just a big event and a celebration. Exactly. You know, it's way more fun that way. I like to talk about food. Um, <laughs> this is true. If he does like to talk about food. Let's talk. And I'm curious about your feelings on Detroit style <laughs> pizza and specifically specifically Buddy's Pizza <laughs> in Detroit. And or or if you feel like there is a better place for Detroit style pizza, if you're if you feel like you have an, uh, an opinion on on the whole thing. Oh man, there! This is actually a debate, an ongoing debate that's going on in the household right now, um, because you have buddies and you have Jets, and both of them are Detroit style pizza, uh, and you also got Pizza Populous, but they're like Detroit slash Chicago style pizza. Um, but like the true, the truest of the truest buddies and jets. And like, we're trying to figure out like, who's going to win this debate on where we're going to get pizza at this weekend. So, <laughs> so it's up, for oh, this, man. it's up for debate. I don't have a dog in a fight because I truthfully like both best, both of them. Cause I'm a, just a straight up foodie, but people are like, ah, oh, nah, buddy's pizza to be too greasy. Nah, just be too greasy. Nah, I don't like how they put they they toppings under the cheese. I want my toppings on top of the cheese. It's it's a big debate going on right now. Okay, what's your, what's your order at at Buddy's or Jets? What what's your, what's your pizza that you you would order? I like anything with banana peppers on it. I mean, I, the straight up Detroit style cheese pizza is pretty amazing. Like, just uh, I've only I've not had Jets. I've had Buddies before. Hey, for those who don't know, and I might be in this category, talk a little bit about what is Detroit style. I'm not sure I've actually ever had Detroit style pizza. The best way to describe Detroit style pizza is. A Chicago style pizza with a deep dish that is square. All right. So we're just talking shapes here. Cause I know Chicago pizza. So mm. Sort of. Brendan doesn't like your answer. Sort of. 
there there's some difference there, but I think for the most simplification, it's deep dish pizza that is square. Like Chicago style that is square. But there are some like nuances when it comes to that, right? Whether the seasonings and things of that sort, right? Um, and also like who came first? Like did Detroit come first and then Chicago or did Chicago come first and then Detroit? Um, it, it's a big debate around that. I think only people in Detroit are debating that, Martinez. <laughs> here here in Chicago, we just think we invented it. So I, I can tell you no Chicagoans are like, yeah, which came first, Detroit or Chicago pizza? We've claimed it just, you know, perhaps completely wrongly. But uh, <laughs> the cheese goes all the way out. Like there's no outer crust in most Detroit style pizza. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Yes. And it's because the pans were, I believe... They were from some sort of, um, it was like automotive adjacent manufacturing, but they were used to sort nuts and bolts. And those were the square pans that they ended up using. That's what, that's what created, that's what started the, the Detroit style pizza. Correct. Anyway, I don't need to take us all the way down that rabbit hole, but, uh, Martinez, there's, I was watching a, one of the short videos that somebody made about you and you were talking, I don't know if this is still true that, um, they said, you know, what do you eat when you're done running or you're done with a marathon or whatever? And you said carrot cake. And then I was in the grocery store the next day and realized there are carrot cake Oreos. And I'm wondering, A, do you bake carrot cake or do you have a favorite place you go to get it? And B, if you have an opinion on carrot cake Oreos, because I'm, I'm on the fence if I should actually go buy a box of them. But I'd love to know your, your, those two answers. All right, so here's the thing. I love carrot cake. Uh, carrot cake Oreos is like it. They're decent. They're they're a nice little try. Like if I had to decide from like your local, <laughs> like here's how I put it. My ultimate favorite carrot cake is from this bakery called Susie Cakes in um, California, but I also think they have one in Texas. They by far make the best carrot cake I've ever had in my life. But like if you go into the grocery store and like my significant other like, hey, like the grocery store got some carrot cake here or do you want some carrot cake Oreos? I'll take the carrot cake Oreos because I feel like grocery store carrot cake is trash. Like they don't put no love in it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, (laughs) grocery store carrot cake is trash. Heard it here. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) All right. It's a commitment too, because it's usually a big pan. Like you got to It's like four pieces, probably at least. And exactly, and it's trash. They don't put no love in it. I feel like it's too much nutmeg, and then like the the icing, the icing be off because it's like you know that grocery store <laughs> bakery. I feel like they made the cake three weeks ago, and then they put it in the freezer, and then they take it out and they cut it up in slices and they put it in that cold area. So like it never. It never becomes like its full potential. Yeah. Okay. Oh, do you, I mean, are you cream cheese frosting on carrot cake? Absolutely. Not to steer it too abruptly back into running, but I always like to ask people, um, probably because I'm at the point where I'm, I'm maybe not going to get much faster in my life, but I like to ask our guests how you're, how you're getting better at running, but not necessarily getting faster. Like, is there are you using it to explore? Like what, what is new for you? What are you focusing on this year? Cause obviously none of us are able to, you know, race this year, 
and maybe for for a few months after this year too so how how would you say you're getting better at it it's ever evolving man um i've been doing a lot of been doing a lot of cross training bike riding um I, I use running as a gateway drug for other sports, man. Like, it's just one of those things that, like, all right, I've done marathons. I can try this bike thing. Or I've done marathons. Maybe I can try to rock climb. Or, like, you know, I use running as, you know, you know how that back in the day it's like marijuana is the great gateway drug to, like, the hard stuff. I would say the same thing is for true is for running. Like running is the gateway drug for like other things, right? <laughs> <laughs> and whether it's cycling, whether it's you know um, anything, like I, it's it's one of those things of you know I'm like, well, if I can do a marathon and be on my feet for six to ten hours, like I can do anything. I got the endurance for anything. For sure. Have you thought, have you given any thought to like triathlons or are you not? I am. I am actually. I want to do an Ironman. Like I want to do all the endurance stuff. I want to do a do F line. Like I want to do an Ironman. I want to do all that. Sometimes I like to ask the question, what's the best question we haven't asked you? here's one, you know, here's, here's, here's my closing thoughts on that question. One of the things that people don't realize, right? Um, so I've been a bigger guy my whole life. I'll just answer the question. I've been a bigger guy my whole life. And like, there's this level of self-hatred that came along with it. And it took me a very long time to like accept myself of where I'm at and like where I'm going. So like really accept the things my body can do versus like what my body looks like. Um, so much so, and like, let me tell you how deep the self-hatred is. Like the reason why I have a degree in health fitness and a degree in health promotion and did all this research and on weight loss and weight loss bloggers and worked at a, you know, a weight loss center at a medical school is because initially I hated myself. I hated myself. I hated the way I look. And I was trying to remedy that by, you know, quote unquote, losing weight. And when I lost the weight, you know, the initial time when I lost the weight, when I lost almost a hundred pounds, um, I wasn't as happier. Like I wasn't a hundred pounds happier. Like, like a hundred pounds didn't I equate to, you know, a hundred percent of happiness. Um, running made me happy. And the reason I found this out is, is this quote is like, you know, you never know how much running means to you or like what matters most to you when it comes to running until you get injured. And when I got injured in 2014 uh, and I wasn't able to run, but I had, you know, I was still, you know, 100 pounds smaller until I gained the weight back. Like, I just wanted to run. Like, I would have gave back all of that weight. Like, if I had, you know, if somebody was like, gain back all the weight and start running from scratch again, like, I would have did it. And that's eventually what I did. That's the answer to the question you guys didn't ask. That's that's okay. I, I hate it when he asks that question and that actually turned out really well. So, but I don't actually know what the question was. You know what I mean? That was a great answer to a non, non question, but yeah. <laughs> Brandon's trying to steal my thunder as opposed to giving me a credit for asking a phenomenal question that sets you up for an even better answer. See what I have to deal with around here, Martinez? I hear you, man. <laughs> 
No, I think it's. <laughs> I think he rescued you for for that. So if we should, we should let it. We should let you go on that, so people can find you. Um, you're 300 pounds and running on on the internet everywhere, Instagram, uh, Twitter, stuff like that, and the Slow AF Run Club. Um, people can Google that and find find out how to join and and buy merchandise and buy t-shirts and neck gaiters and uh with the spirit animal of the the tortoise on there thanks so much for coming on this is such a great conversation it's great to get to know a little bit about your story thank you guys for having me hopefully we get a good occasion to do it again sometime and and uh till then good luck with your virtual assistance and everything you've got going on and uh yeah man we're rooting for you and keep it going Thank you. I appreciate it. You guys have a good one. That's it for this edition of Off the Couch. Thanks to Martinez and Brendan for the conversation. And be sure to go check out slowafrunclub.com. And you should probably also, while you're there, go ahead and pick up one of the Slow AF Run Club t-shirts or some of the merchandise. And, you know, let people know. Sometimes you're slow AF. We all are. Anyway, if you are enjoying these off-the-couch conversations, we would very much appreciate it if you would take 30 seconds to leave us a nice little rating or review in Apple Podcasts. Now, I also want to say thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode. And from all of us here in Crested Butte, Colorado, we hope that you are doing well. And until next time, please be safe. Please take good care of yourself and everybody else. Please keep moving forward, and we will talk to you again next week.